Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and the effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Dr. Michael Henry will join us to discuss Brain Reboot. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. show. Well, depression. It affects millions of individuals. How can we end the stigma surrounding cutting-edge treatments for depression? Joining us today to discuss this issue is Dr. Michael Henry. Dr. Henry is the medical director of the ECT service at Mass General Hospital in Boston. He's also an associate professor at the Harvard Medical School. He's a member of the American Society of Clinical Psychopharmacology and the International Society for ECT and Neurostimulation, and is a fellow of the International College of Neuropsychopharmacology. His work has been presented at many national and international venues, and he has penned the new book, Brain Reboot, New Treatments for Healing Depression. Dr. Henry, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grox Science Show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here fascinating book that you've put together here, Brain Reboot, in which you talk about some of the new treatments and potentially controversial treatments surrounding healing depression. I'm curious why you decided to put the book together. Someone asked me to. There was a friend of a patient who was really struggling with depression and yet not was terrified of going to talk about ECT and some of the other treatments. And they said, you really need to put together a book about how to make ECT less scary and more accessible. And I, and I said, well, those, those books kind of exist, but there isn't one that really captures all of the new stuff. The new ways of doing ECT, TMS or transcranial magnetic stimulation and ketamine or S-ketamine. And so we started to put that book together and this is what ended up being Brain Reboot. It's a way of destigmatizing all of these treatments and making people aware of the options they had when they got stuck and when you know they weren't getting better with the traditional antidepressants. The way the book is put together very much humanizes and helps to alleviate some of that stigma by focusing a lot on case studies approaching these treatments. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, when you see how powerful these treatments are and how life-changing they can be for people once they get past that initial fear and, and actually go for the consultation, then it becomes much easier for people to try it themselves. And that was the idea was let's we're certainly happy to tell you about the downsides, but let's show you the successes. Let's show you the people who have had the life-changing events happen and been able to get back to being themselves. And that was really, I thought the best way to do that was to humanize it and put it in terms of patient case studies. And those, those by the way, are composite case studies. So those are actually usually more than one person who is synthesized and there's a way of making sure that people's privacy is maintained. Let's show people the power of these treatments and what they can actually do and offer people as helping them get unstuck from the depressions they are they're mired in. Depression is one of those mental illnesses, unfortunately, like a lot of mental illnesses, where it's unappreciated in many ways. People think it's a matter of willpower sometimes and just say, oh, just get over it. But it's biologically based in many ways, and sometimes it's understanding what depression is. No, exactly. You know, I, I live in a bit of a bubble 
because I see people who think about things medically. And it, what really drove that home for me was I was getting picked up at the airport by one of my cousins. And they were asking me a little bit about what I did. And I said, I treated depression. They said, well, don't you think people should just be able to motivate their way out of it or pick themselves up? And I said, well, you really don't understand what this is. This is a disease of the brain. One of the big sort of paradigm shifts that occurred from the 80s to about now is that we started to think of depression and other psychiatric diseases not as unresolved conflicts and things from your past or lack of motivation, but we realized that these are actually diseases of the circuitry in the brain that controls the mood and controls how you motivate yourself. And then we began to look for ways to treat those circuits. And these treatments represent the next generation of ways of adjusting the mood circuitry in the brain to help people feel better. And classic approaches, do they still have a place or are the more modern approaches complement to them or how do you tell when one should be adopted over the other? The available data is that come at depression with all of these approaches. Medications work better when combined with psychotherapy. CT, TMS, and ketamine work better when combined with psychotherapy. Group therapy, there's various support groups. All of those things that help pull the person back to their life and back to functioning the way they want to come together and help the person get better. And, and that's also helped maintain those remissions. So, yes, the, the old way of doing psychotherapy, is, it's been upgraded in many ways to something called cognitive behavioral therapy. There's dialectical behavioral therapy, and there are various types of cognitive behavioral therapy, such as CBTI or, or CBT for insomnia, which was actually developed by the VA, and for which is a program available on their website, and VA being Veterans Administration. All of those approaches complement the approaches that we describe in the book. Exercise is certainly a huge, huge factor. We begin to realize that inflammation is a natural part of aging, but also it's, a, it's something that gets accelerated when people are depressed. And that reversing that kind of inflammation through exercise and losing weight and things like that also is quite helpful for people. And again, one of the things that's really hard to depress and can't really get motivated because the parts of your brain that motivate you just aren't working. This book talks about some of the therapies that are being employed, and, but some which have a bit of a stigma surrounding them. Well, the classic for stigma is ECT or electroconvulsive therapy, what was known as electroshock therapy. And in the old days, it was used very aggressively. The machines were somewhat primitive in terms of the stimulus they delivered. And, and decades of research have really refined how to best give a stimulus to the patient and how to shape it. So the new machines are very different and the intensity of the stimulus is much less. It's given over a slightly longer period of time to mirror a more natural physiologic stimulus. But so that causes fewer cognitive side effects and less of the confusion that one saw in the early days, and it was enshrined in movies like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So the technique is very different. How we dose it is different, and the equipment that we use is very different with ECT. And getting that message out to people is very important in terms of reducing the stigma because at the end of the day, all of the studies that are available to date that I'm aware of still have ECT as being the most effective of the antidepressant treatments available. The others are close, and they're catching up. TMS, which is transcranial magnetic stimulation, is less, has less of a track record in terms of stimulus, stigma, but I think people just don't know about it that much. 
And with transcranial magnetic stimulation, the idea is that you use an electromagnet or a coil that has electricity pulsed through it to create a magnetic field next to the front part of the brain where we think the circuitry, key components in the circuitry resides. And we use that to modulate that or change the activity of that brain region and in so doing treat the depression. So I think with RTMS or repetitive transcranial magnetic stimulation, it's about getting the word out and making people aware that this treatment, which is pretty well tolerated and for which people can get up from the treatment, get in the car and go off to work afterwards, is available and is, is a powerful tool for people to use. And then lastly, ketamine is, from a pharmacology or from a medication perspective, a game changer in terms of how we think about depression. Now, it started out as a medication that was used as an anesthetic. It is still an anesthetic but it was used extensively in the Vietnam War, and then less so as it became sort of somewhat of a street drug. People may know it as Special K or other things, but what people didn't realize was that it had these antidepressant effects. That came about as the work of some folks at Yale and then later on, Dr. Zarati at the National Institute of Mental Health, where they realized if you give it in low doses, you can tweak a part of the brain that seems to be central to how the person feels, and how they can get themselves moving. And so with ketamine, the idea is to get it out of the realm of the street drug and to realize that when used in controlled settings by skilled clinicians, that it's actually a very safe drug, very well tolerated, and also very effective. Telling that the number of ketamine clinics, in fact, increased by like a factor in the United States, increased by a factor of like five from 2017 on or so. And that's really a testament to how much of a need there is out there for people's depression to get better. And two, it's a testament to the effectiveness and, and the novelty of this treatment. How widely throughout the medical profession are these other approaches being employed? To what extent are medical professionals also helping to educate their patients about these methods for treating their depression? Well, uh, again, it's a lot about availability. And that's somewhat variable. In Boston, where we have a lot of things available, there's a lot of education, a lot of use, and these services are very big, are very busy. In other parts of the country where there might not be the number of practitioners doing it, the practitioners who do it are very people, educating people about it. And I think ketamine is, and its marketed cousin as ketamine, if you will, Sovato, which is the Johnson & Johnson FDA-approved brand name, there's a lot of buzz. And a lot of excitement about that. TMS, there is a group at Stanford that has come up with a way of stacking it so that you can do what used to take six weeks in one week, and that's got a lot of momentum as well. And then ECT is generally more widely used when people are aware of, you know, these people are really suffering and we, we have to, you know, we have to get them better and we have this powerful tool that goes underused, particularly with the COVID pandemic bringing mental health needs of people more into forefront. It's becoming more and more talked about and used, but there's still people have reservations about old stereotypes of these, of these treatments, particularly ketamine as a street drug, and particularly ECT as the one flew over the cuckoo's nest. And ECT, since it is so effective, is there an enhanced training going on for practitioners out there? Are medical students becoming more aware of this so that they can then go out and start employing this in greater locations? 
Uh, there are, you know, and at the Massachusetts General Hospital, we actually have neurointerventional brain stimulation fellowship, where we actually have people who have completed a psychiatry residency come for a year, and they actually rotate amongst the ECT, TMS, and ketamine services. There are national meetings. People continue to train. People continue to talk about the different ways to do this. So there is a lot of interest in the newer generation of psychiatrists and other mental health practitioners in learning and, and giving these treatments. And I think that reflects the fact that people realize, as always, the profession has always realized the need. Now people feel we have tools that actually do something and they help the patient immensely. So it sounds like ECT and TMS, they both in some ways act to stimulate the brain. Do they stimulate uh, the brain circuitry similarly or difference in terms of where they're stimulating or how they're stimulating the brain? There are differences. For example, with ECT, you often put the electrodes on the right side of the, of the head and you start the treatment there. Interesting and paradoxically, ECT actually, once the seizure is over from the treatment, actually makes the brain a little more quiet. And the way I sort of think about it is it reduces the static the mood circuitry has in it. TMS is interesting also because you can apply either an excitatory stimulus or an inhibitory stimulus. When you're treating depression with an inhibitory stimulus, you also put it on the right. So very much try to stimulate the same parts of the brain. When, you do, when you're trying to activate the underlying tissue, you will put it on the left. And so in that sense, you're trying to do the opposite of what ECT is doing. And tissue is bringing parts of the brain that are underactive to have an increase in their activity and allow the person to feel better. In a way, trying to tweak to the right amount this mood circuitry? Well, usually what we're trying to do, uh, usually these treatments get used separately. As you can imagine, there's been a fair amount of people looking at combining ketamine with ECT since you need an anesthetic. And it turns out that that doesn't really give you too much benefit. There may be a slight early decrease in the suicidal ideation that one sees with depression, but otherwise there's no real gain and, and what you get are just sort of side effects. So that practice has kind of fallen out of the by the wayside. TMS and ECT is actually a very interesting concept. It's starting to emerge where maybe you can use uh, the transcranial magnetic stimulation to prime the brain so that you have a more effective ECT treatment needing less and thereby needing fewer ECT treatments and causing fewer side effects. So those are those are areas of active research and, and actually areas that, that may be coming down the line are also doing things like using phototherapy and light therapy as ways to minimize the cognitive side effects of ECT. But the thing is that these techniques are have been greatly refined from where they were even 15, 20 years ago. And they're only getting better because there's more and more work being done particularly as we understand more about how the brain actually works and the circuitry involved in depression and other mood disorders. Your book also does mention some therapies that go along with it, of their exercise, nutrition, and sleep, and of course, future treatments coming down the line. Sure. I mean, one of the more interesting and exciting things that's coming is, is the work with psychedelics. You know, there's been a psychedelic augmentation of psychotherapy kind of research in the various ways that it could be used that fell by the wayside when the federal government outlawed, basically, or not outlawed, but it, it moved LSD and to the schedule and it's very hard to get it to do any work with. But people realize that psychedelics may offer some tremendous relief to terminally ill patients 
who are having a tremendous amount of anxiety. So the groups were able to restart studying it on that basis as a sort of a compassionate use for the for people who are dying. And they found that it brought them tremendous relief. And so from there, it's gradually expanded to any use these medications to depression. That work is still in its infancy, but there was a recent study of psilocybin that came out of the UK, which was positive and which is very encouraging. And the other thing that's being explored is a drug like uh, MDMA, what's known as, on the street as ecstasy. That seems to have tremendous potential in terms of treating disorder, particularly in combat veterans. There's one of the things that it releases when you get a dose of MDMA is sort of the feel-good hormone called oxytocin. It's one that gives you a sense of connection and relational relationship, feeling good related to the people. It's also the hormone that's released when women are breastfeeding. And so it helps to calm the anxiety and helps people to feel more connected. And so that's another area that's actively being explored. When they're approved by the FDA for use, I think we'll offer people options that are sorely needed. But again, you have to make sure that you're doing this with practitioners who know what they're doing and who are using FDA-approved or Food and Drug Administration-approved approaches to things. And it's also important that be careful about what you mix with those things. For example, MDMA is a drug that you don't want to mix with the traditional antidepressants like fluoxetine or Prozac, citalopram or Celexa, those drugs, where there's a risk of a toxic reaction. So want to make sure people have experience and know what they're doing before you work with them. Individuals who have depression and are looking to explore some of these options, what would you recommend for them in terms of finding such practitioners and the questions that they should ask to those practitioners in terms of investigating these type of treatments? Well, if we're talking about things like the psychedelics, there you really have to look for research studies and research centers because those are really the only people who are currently using that in a way that's above above board. ECT, TMS, and ketamine, what you want is a clinic or a practitioner who's fairly busy, who you sit down with them for the initial consultation. They feel comfortable, takes time to explain it to you, and gives a sense that, that not only do they know what they're talking about, but this is someone you can relate to and someone who you feel comfortable investing your care in. Maybe just to close then, if you have any final words regarding your book, Brain Reboot. The most important thing is to convey my gratitude to the various patients who allowed me to treat them and who gave me the experience to be able to write that book. Without them, I really would not have been able to, and I'm very grateful for them. We were talking with Dr. Michael Henry, his new book, Brain Reboot. New Treatments for Healing Depression. Dr. Henry, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you. I appreciate your time. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.